Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, you're just a good and great God. And thank you for sending your Son, Lord, to be for us what we could not. Lord, we thank you that we hold on to salvation that you have freely given to those of us that you've called according to your name. And Father, I pray that you would just be with this offering. Lord, as you are a generous, cheerful giver, let us give generously and cheerfully, knowing, Lord, that it furthers your work. Thank you again for joining us this morning. And I pray that you would just help us as we celebrate your presence. Lord, show yourself in a mighty way. We pray this name your Son. Amen. Let's come before the Lord this morning corporately for the pastor's prayer. Would you just bow your head and silently join me as I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, as creator of the universe, the giver of all of life, and the great provider, you are due all worship. You are worthy of our admiration and love. Lift up our hearts to see you anew this morning. Open our eyes and reveal more of your beauty and majesty. And may we respond with glad hearts and a vigor to serve you and only you. We confess as we come this morning that we have not kept you as our object of admiration. We have replaced you with so many worthless things. And our hearts betray us as our fleshly desires compete with your spirit. We humbly repent and ask for your everlasting compassion. Grant us forgiveness this morning. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. And let our lips speak of your praises. Your goodness overwhelms us as we provide all that we need to thrive and serve you. Let our hearts be filled with gratitude for all of your blessings this morning. Remind us of your faithfulness when our minds wander to those things that we desire, yet we know they're harmful and destructive. And we come before you this morning to once again to ask for your blessing and favor. Hear our prayers and our singing. Receive our giving and praise. And open up our hearts to your word and reveal your presence to us. We pray this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, the name in which salvation is given. And all God's people said, Amen. Oh, take your Bibles and turn to James, if you would, chapter 1. We're working our way through the book of James. As we talk about the vicious fruit of anger in James chapter 1, 19 through 21. But we're going to look at verse 18 prior before that. Just as a matter of review, if we have come to understand, reading verses 1 through 18, we have come to understand that God is a good wise, providential king, amen, who loves his children and desires for them to grow spiritually strong, ready to face and endure all adversaries with joy. To do so, we have found that we need to pray with confidence for wisdom to understand and accept with contentment God's perfect plan for our lives 
and for His glory. So that is, in my nutshell, uh, what we've learned through Scripture in James' writing to those Jewish believers dispersed from Jerusalem and scattered throughout all the world as He's trying to encourage them. And we found that you and I need the same encouragement as we too are scattered exiles waiting for Christ to come. Two weeks ago, we came to the conclusion of this section where James commands his readers to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And he sees that he warns them about doubting the goodness of God, and he encourages them by reminding them of God's redemptive plan for man. And that's where we find ourselves 2,000 so years later, is you and I need to be encouraged and to be reminded of God's redemptive plan for us. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 18. Look at that with me. It's, he says, Of His own will, speaking of the Father, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of His creatures. The next theme that James is going to write about is to encourage the Jewish believers that are scattered around the world is to obey the Word of God. And we're going to see that as we go through verse 19 of chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 26. James understands that there are many things that can prevent, paralyze, or even perplex the believer from living out God's command in Scripture to be that first fruit, to be that kind of Christ, to, to, to live out what He's called us to be. And in this passage today, James is going to address one of the most common and yet one of the most destructive attitudes that believers have and struggle with, and that is anger. Let's read the passage, James chapter 1, 19 through 21, three verses there. James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And Father, I ask for you to open up my heart and mind to speak those words that are encouraging and Lord, that are words of transformation. And I pray that you would give all of us this morning, wisdom to understand my opinion from your truth. And Lord, I pray that you would now begin with through your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts as we tackle this issue of anger. There may be some that are already shutting their ears and hearts to this word. I pray that you would force them open for the rest. Lord, I pray that we would respond, Lord, as we look forward to not just information, but a transformation of the heart as we become more like you and freer from sin in this life. Give us your wisdom, we pray. Amen. I know something personally about anger. Anger has been a constant companion of mine for many years. Anger and I have a love-hate relationship. She is one of those companions that even if you do not see or hear from him, you know that he's lurking around in some dark corner ready to pounce when you least expect it. And just when I thought I have gotten rid of him or lost him in the passage of time or in the maturity of my heart, he shows up and announced and unwelcome. 
My friend, my companion, anger has frustrated and caused more hurt to my family and friends than I can count. Yet when he is around, I seem to embrace him and allow him to dictate my feelings and my emotions. Only after he has come and gone do I realize the pain that he and I have brought. Let me ask you, does this sound familiar? Would you be able to say that's my testimony also? Has anger been a close companion of yours? An unannounced friend? An unwelcome companion? Do you know my frenemy? Anger? I bet you many of you are acquainted with him and his fickleness. Many of us are either guilty of embracing anger or feel the shame and hurt that he leaves in his wake. Anger is an equal opportunity killer. Killer of the soul. Killer of love. Killer of the heart. Of families, of relationships. Even health experts have something to say about anger. Some of the health risks that they have found that hostility, anger, and aggressiveness could cause includes coronary, heart disease, diabetes, bulimic behaviors, and road accidents. Jonathan Parnell writes that anger is not good for you, at least not in its typical form. He writes, new studies argue that regular feelings of anger increases the likelihood for heart disease and that within two hours of an outburst, the chances of a heart attack or stroke skyrocket. They define anger as impulse or indignation, an emotional outburst that can cause personal damage, but we also know that it produces hurt among those whose anger is directed at. Spouses, children, co-workers, neighbors, and even the faithful dog. The problem that James, though, is zeroing in and in the passage is unwise speech that stems from anger. Again, James might have been referencing the teaching of Jesus that we read earlier in Matthew 5 when he warns them, do not murder. And if you hate your brother, it's the same of murder. If you insult your brother, if you get angry with him, it's the same. Anger kills. And many of us understand anger in a very personal way. Either from what we bring out in our own life or maybe as children living in a home where we walked around eggshells because anger was the strongest emotional outburst. As Christians, or in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught that healthy trees produce healthy fruit while those that are diseased produce fruit that is not good. He had wrote, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. As Christians, you and I should know the need for self-control and patience, and not that of anger. In today's passage, James uses agricultural symbolism to teach self-control by using terms such as producing fruit and implanted word. I want to give you three observations as James is trying to encourage them to live out the first fruits of, of Christ, the first fruits that God has brought forth by the word of the truth. The first one that I want to share with you this morning 
is James is going to give them a command to exercise self-control. James gives them a command to exercise self-control. Let's look back at verse 19. He says, know this, get this, understand this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, I wish that all of us would probably say we understand that, but yet we do not live that out. How many times during, a, during an argument are we already, instead of listening to someone, are already preparing our arguments and ready just to talk past each other and over each other? But he gives them some importance. If you're going to live a Christian life, if you're going to be a Christian, it should be marked by self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that we see in Galatians. And so he gives them a command to exercise self-control. And we see the importance of being quick to hear. I think this is a lost art. Probably all three of these. We see the importance of being quick to hear in Scripture. Where in Proverbs it says in 17.28, he says, even, or excuse, yes, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. If you want to seem intelligent, then be quick to hear. In Proverbs 18, 17, he says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. You and I need to realize the importance of being quick to hear. Many times anger can be squelched if we would just calm down and listen to what others have to say. We also see the importance of being slow to speak in Proverbs. When he says in 1727, whoever restrains his words has what? Knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs 1019 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. We need to realize the importance of being slow to speak. And I have to tell you many times, that can be the one that I deal with is I'm ready to defend my case, right? I'm ready to, to let you know what I think. And those are some of the things that we need to realize is the Bible says, no, you must be slow to speak. Why? There's an importance to that. And then we see the importance of being slow to anger once again. Let's go to Scripture, to Proverbs. We must remember as we're reading James, he's relying not on the writings of Paul, but he relies on the teaching of Christ and on the wisdom scriptures. In Proverbs chapter 13, he says, From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. In Proverbs 20, verse 11, it says, Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure or upright. What many of us prove many times as Christians, that we're a bunch of two-year-olds that are throwing tantrums because we're not getting our way. But James commands that self-control is important. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger as he warns them or gives them a command to exercise self-control. The second thing that James is going to do, the observation I'd like to make, is James warns them about reaping and sowing in verse 20. While it's true that anger causes destruction, and James is going to put it bluntly when he writes that the anger of man does not 
produce the righteousness of God. When James writes of the righteousness of God, he's referring to to what God requires of all people, obedience to His holy word. If we go back to verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of a first fruits. But what we see is that when we have anger, it does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not produce those things that are pleasing to God. It does not produce those things that that are favorable to God and points to us as children of God. We've got to remember that James is referring back to the teaching of Jesus and not the Apostle Paul. When Paul uses the phrase, the righteousness of God, Paul is writing of Christ and how his obedience to God provided salvation. However, when James is here says it doesn't produce the righteousness of God, he's emphasizing that they are to be conducting their lives by the will of God, just as Jesus taught in Matthew 5.20. Where to the disciples, speaking of the Pharisees, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And many times you may wonder, why is my life not marked by the things of God? And many times it's because there's an anger. And maybe the anger is not always an outburst, but there's just an anger inside. I remember as a kid, and I don't know why this is. You know, I've never been to a therapist to try to delve into my mind. It's a scary thing. I don't think we would want anybody to open up that Pandora's box. But yet, as we look at it, I remember people saying, why don't you smile more? You always have an angry look on your face. And I can kind of remember, for some reason, being that type of guy. It's not that I had outbursts, but there just seems to be that I was a matchstick, just ready to be struck. Remember that old phrase, you know, uh, you know go ahead, uh, um, Put a, or be somebody who has a, a block on their shoulder. Yeah, and you'd say, oh yeah, go ahead and knock that off. Well, I would be one of those guys that I would knock it off. I'm ready to go. Why is it that there's so much anger and rage within us? Many times, just like being a functional alcoholic, we're functional angry people with rage. We control it, we try to keep it in, but yet we know that it's always there just under the surface, ready to just, you know, go napalm, you know? Just ready to go. But he says that's not to be that of a Christian. For that type of rage, that type of anger, will not produce the things of God. Later, James is going to warn them that if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. So we need to learn to be self-controlled. Because if not, that rage, that anger, that hostility does not produce the things of God. You see, anger does not produce the change we want. And isn't that many times why we get angry? We get angry at our children because we want them to just stop making noise. We're angry with our spouses because they're not doing what we want them to do. We get angry at the guy who cuts us off or won't let us in our lane because he's not doing what we want. That's what anger is. Anger does not produce the change that you and I want. It compounds it. It destroys it. It may have some short-term benefits. You may intimidate and scare someone into doing what you want, but the end is not what you want. 
It's a product of selfish domination that's fueled by pride. And I'm using myself as an example because I was a young man when my children were young in which anger was a ruling emotion. I remember a time when Brandon was young when I came up with him and just grabbed him, put him down and had a fist up. And I could see the terror in his eyes as a young man and I realized that's not the man I want to be. And to me, I don't know how much it affects him, but it affects me to this day. For I remember that vividly. Or my kids walking around, not wanting to bother me. I did not produce the things of God. And I'll tell you how many times as a father, if there's anything that's good out of my children, it's in spite of me, but by the grace of God. And maybe some of you understand that. Maybe some of you have lived that. And I believe there's probably many of you that are still struggling with that yourself, and maybe there's time to come to someone. Andy Stanley says this. I won't recommend a lot of things he says, but I'll do this one. He says, anger is a debt that says you owe me. For that's when you and I get angry. When someone hurts us, someone does something against us, they make us mad, you owe me. And I'm angry. And there's a debt that you can't pay. And what we do is since they cannot pay it, it builds up and it builds up and our anger gets fueled and it turns into a rage. Anger is a debt that says you owe me. It's a selfish domination fueled by pride. And let me tell you that there's only one payment There's only one way to cancel out that debt because to be honest, there's no way to cancel it out any other way than through forgiveness. Because when someone is such an anger and a rage and they have that thought of debt, there's no way that anyone can pay it out. Unfortunately, there are many who use their anger and when they have that debt and they feel like their wife owes it to them, they grab their fist or other fists are there. They, They grab something, they just go at it and they'll bounce their wives off the walls. Or they'll beat their children and kick their dog. They take it out on the road, people on the road. They take it on the people in the grocery store. But let me tell you, that is not what God calls us to do because that debt will never, ever be paid. The only way that debt can be paid is for that person that's so enraged and it has such hostility, that has so much pride, their heart must be broken and allow themselves to forgive that debt. Not be forgiven by someone else, though that's important, but they need to learn to forgive and defeat that pride. I want to share with you three reasons why you and I should forgive. The first one is because God forgave us. How much more simpler can we get? God forgave us. Look at Ephesians 2, 4, 5. It says, we were dead in our trespasses. It says that we were following the prince of the air. But he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. If anyone has a debt against them, it is God. If there is anyone who could say, you owe me, it is the Almighty, the ultimate power of the universe. 
but yet He looks at you and I. And you and I could not pay that debt, but yet Christ says, I will pay that. And He forgives us even when we are unforgivable, even when we did not deserve it. And to be honest, when we didn't ask, we must forgive because God forgives us. We are no more like God than when we forgive others the debts that are held against, that we're holding. We forgive because God forgives. The second one is we're commanded to forgive. And let me tell you again, once God commands something, when it's clear in Scripture, don't pray about it, just do it. Just do it. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, we all know this portion of Scripture. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but what? Seventy times seven. And then he gives that parable that we won't go through. You can read it later. But we're forgive because God has commanded us to forgive. And then thirdly, we forgive because if you and I do not forgive, get this, this is important. If you and I do not forgive, if we hold on to that debt, if we try to collect it ourselves, what does he say? That God will not forgive. In Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also what? Forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, what does he say? Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, do I need to say that anymore? That's pretty clear. See the mark? of a genuine true believer is one who cancels the debt of anger by forgiving others. So is that a mark? Is that a brand that's on you? Is that tattooed on your forehead? I forgive because God has forgiven me, because He's commanded to, and because it's necessary? There's a warning there. Then thirdly, the third observation I'd like to give you is James concludes with a two-step action plan. Don't you, everyone loves action plans, right? We all love application. That's what we just want. Just tell me what I need to do so I can get on out of here. Well, well James is going to give them a two-step. He's telling them, listen, you need to exercise self-control because if you don't, you will not produce the fruit of God. It will not produce what God has commanded to you. So here, if you want to do this, Here's what you need to do. Look at verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with what? Meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Therefore, because knowing this command, put away. There's two things that you and I ought to do. The first thing is we need to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's very simple. Put away refers to the idea of stripping off clothing, especially those that are dirty and soiled. Paul writes of the same thing when he wrote to Colossae, when he says, put to death that which is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness. Then he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, Many of the things that you and I struggle with in anger, he says, and if anyone has complaint against one another, forgive one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And what I love what Paul says, and above all these, put on love. 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says we're to put away, we're to strip ourselves of those things that soil and, and soil and, and, and dirty. Filthiness is moral decay. Rampant wickedness speaks of malice, that desire to get back, to get vengeance. These things should not be part of a life of a believer. And I think today, if you were to ask yourself, how am I to respond to the Word of God? You would respond with obedience and recognizing, Lord, what are those things in my life that is filthy and that is a moral decay, those things that in which I have malice, strip them from me. Help me take them off. And instead of being like the little kid that fights his parents and taking off his clothes, we ought to be ready just to strip ourselves of all of those things that prevent us from producing the fruit that God has called us to do. Now are we to put away all those things, strip ourselves from those types of things. Then we need to receive with meekness that implanted word. James is referring to the influence of God's word in producing the new kind of behavior that God commands and requires in His children. We're a new creature, a new creation. What are we to do? It's the, the implanted word to receive that with meekness. Jeremiah 31, 33, where God says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is not something implanted from the time of our conception, but something that God comes and puts in us when He takes away that old heart. He says you receive something special. That's the implanted word. We need to receive it with meekness. We need to be accepted and open to it, be receptive. Hence why he says, blessed are those who mourn, who recognize their need for a Savior, recognize their need for God, because we need to receive it. Meekness is the, the opposite of anger, which is pride and wanting their own way. The parable of the soils tells us about that. In Mark 4.20, he says, Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it with gladness and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Let me ask you today, as I open up the word and I speak, are you receiving it with that type of desire? Do you see what God has given you and you're working through it and saying, Lord, I want more of you and less of me? As John the Baptist say, I must decrease so that he must increase. Take your Bibles very quickly and turn to 2 Peter. For we see that we're to receive the implanted word. We're to receive it with meekness and receive it because it will save our souls. And 2 Peter gives us a great passage of scripture that speaks of that. In 2 Peter, I think you should have been 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. It says, His, speaking of God the Father, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature and have an escape from the corruption that is within, or the corruption that is in the world, because of sinful desires. You and I have been saved by the implanted word that made us alive and we ought to receive it. We ought to receive it with joy. 
How can the implanted word save your souls? It's the salvation. It's recognizing that one day that we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. We've been looking at that in our Sunday school. That's what you and I yearn for, that future time when we're presence with God, that final glorification. Let me end with this. As James is writing to those Jewish Christians that are scattered around the world, he recognizes that life has changed so dramatically for them. And he tells them, count it all joy when you're going to face all these trials and persecutions. And you could imagine being a Jew in those times. You could maybe rise up and all of a sudden anger starts to take place when you see yourself beaten down and taken away and persecuted. Maybe even vengeance comes to your mind as you think one day they'll get their due. However, James knows that this type of attitude is not the type of attitude that God has called us to. Not one of anger, not one of vengeance, not one of self-domination over others, not one in which it seeks to collect all the debt that's owed to them. But those that are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to answer. We need to be those type of people that produce the righteousness of God. And here we are. We need the same thing. We not need Jews who have been dispersed from their land. We are people who are under attack. We are to stand up for those things that are of God. We're to receive His Word and to live it out. And in it, as we feel the pressures and the stress, we too will be faced with that emotion, that companion anger, rage. But James has called us to self-control. Let me challenge you. Do not let anger get the best of you. Do not let that rage build up inside of you. Let Christ come and fill you with the joy. May His Spirit come and grant you that fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace. Do not let its power to destroy your relationship and testimony. Do not live out the commands of God. I'd like to give you these closing words because not all anger is wrong or sinful. We understand that Jesus had righteous anger. We understand that there are many things in which Scripture gives us illustrations of righteous anger. You yourself may have righteous anger throughout your life. The Bible tells us in Psalms 4.4, Be angry and what? Do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And the one that is famous for many of us, Ephesians 4.26, where he says, be, not, or be angry and what? Do not sin once again. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I would challenge you today, as James writes, do not let anger control you, for that does not produce the righteousness of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with anger, if anger is one of those things that you just say, you know what, it has the better half of me. I struggle with it. I've lived with it. I've been the recipient and I've been the one that's been all the rage. You say, Pastor Rob, would you just pray for me real quickly? I understand. I do not want it to, to rule my life. Would you just put your hand up and put it down? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, many of you. As we come before the Lord and
communion, we want to give those things. Maybe there's someone here that today that you need to release them from that debt. You're angry with them and you need to forgive them. You may need to go to someone right now and just say, would you please forgive me? Maybe you need to hold off and, and take care of your offering until you've taken care of that. But I would encourage you, let's trust what God's Word says. And Father, we come before you this morning. We ask for your strength to speak to our hearts. Lord, anger is something that many of us deal with. It's a, it's a component in our lives, whether it's from us or from others. Lord, help us to deal with it in a way that is pleasing to you. Let us see its destructive power. And Father, may you give us the strength, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, to put away all things that lead to anger, that we may produce the things that we should. We pray this in your name. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.